1: Thank you for joining us and for following Working Like Dogs on Instagram and Facebook. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis, and my co host is my adorable service dog, Lovey. And we're thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject: working dogs and working animals. And today we're welcoming Anne Howey to the show. And Anne is recognized as a leading expert in animal-assisted therapy. I know a lot of you have been sending questions about therapy dogs, so we're so excited to have Anne. And she's the author of the book "Teaming with Your Therapy Dog." And she leads her own business, Human Animal Solutions. And Anne is also a clinical social worker, and she's an adjunct faculty member in the Graduate School of Social Work at the University of Denver in Colorado and also at the Yamazaki College in Tokyo, Japan. So we're so excited to have Anne with us today to talk about her pioneering work in the ethical and humane provision of animal-assisted therapy. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Anne Howie to the show.
0: Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Pick up two bottles of Lico Chops. Get the third bottle free. New improved lico Chops with omega-6, omega-3, vitamin E, and now six extra direct-fed microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. And dogs love it. Try Liquor Chops. Buy two, get one free. This is Henry Lukasevic for Dynavite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E oh. dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com.
1: Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on PetLife. Pet Life Radio we're so excited to have Ann Howie with us today. Hello Ann and welcome.
0: Hi, Marcy. What a pleasure it is to be with you today.
1: Well, we are just beyond excited to have you with us because this is a a big topic that I get a lot of questions about from our listeners. So we're so excited to really dive into this. And you are recognized as the leader in animal-assisted therapy. And I'd love it, Anne, if you could tell our listeners how you got started in this whole world of animal-assisted therapy.
0: Well, it was To me, an interesting story. I was finishing up my graduate degree and feeling like, oh, there is nothing that could make me go back to school. I am so done with school. And I read an article in the newspaper about a local program that was doing what they then called pet therapy. And I thought, oh. I would go back to school for that. And I thought, oh, my goodness, if that was my first thought, then there is something here for me to pay attention to. I actually went and volunteered with that program and then started networking with other people around the country who were doing some similar things. And as we then moved across the country, I said, I'm going to start my own program and started working with a couple of facilities in getting programs started. So, boy, it was a slam, <laughs> slam dunk, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you got sucked in right away, as most of us do with animal things, right? Well, tell yes, us, maybe. so what, what was that first program? What were you doing? I
0: was working with a Sheltie, my Sheltie, at Baylor Institute for Rehabilitation in um, Tyler, Texas. They had physical therapists, occupational therapists, and speech-language pathologists who were working with therapy animals basically five days a week. It might have been more, but I think it was five days a week during the day, so that the clients, the patients there at that hospital, were working with the dogs to be able to help them reach their therapy goals. So that actually is the definition of animal-assisted therapy, that the the dog or other animal is working with a credentialed therapist who is setting the goals and documenting the progress so that that patient or client is actually working towards achieving those goals through the assistance of that animal. Other things are called animal-assisted interactions, which is a broader term that can include something that are activities, just the meet and greet, brighten your day types of things without a therapist's involvement. It might include education as well, animal-assisted education in a classroom. So we do make those kinds of distinctions based on the, the laws and regulations in the United States about who can provide therapy.
1: Yeah, well, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that, you know, there's a lot of confusion out there, Ann, about therapy animals and what they do and, and what those definitions are. So, I'm really glad that you talked about that for animal-assisted therapy because that's pretty serious when you're documenting and you're really working with a credential therapist. That's very different than what you described as an animal-assisted interaction, that feel good, um, where you're, you're doing that meet and greet kinds of things. So can you tell us like what types of animals can provide this type of work? I mean, this seems very different if you're doing animal assisted therapy versus the assisted interactions. What are your thoughts about that?
0: Well, there are some big differences, Marcy, and I appreciate your making that distinction, that there really are two ways of looking at it. There are those um, dogs, I'm just going to stay with dogs for right now since that's our program is uh, working like dogs, Um, that are visiting as a volunteer with volunteer handlers in the meet and greet and brighten someone's day. Those dogs need to be very, very calm, very, very sociable, really interested in people, in strangers and being with them. They'll actually seek out that kind of interaction. And a dog that's working in therapy might need to be different if that therapist is wanting to work on some specific goals. Let's say, for example, that there is a person who has um, trouble controlling themselves. Uh, Thinking of children often that are very excited and moving around and making loud noises and moving their bodies. Well, one of the goals might be to help them develop some self-regulation skills And so in that kind of a circumstance, the therapist might want a dog who would move away from a child who was acting out. In volunteer work, the therapy dog would be asked to stick around and tolerate and and maybe even enjoy that kind of an interaction. But when you're working on a specific goal, then you need a dog that is able to respond in an appropriate way to the activities that that client is exhibiting. Now, I want to mention, though, that it doesn't have to be just dogs. And many of the organizations that work with therapy animals do work just with dogs. Dogs are pretty portable. They're pretty easily trainable. Lots of people in the United States have dogs. So therapy dogs are by far the most popular. But I personally have worked with rabbits and guinea pigs and llamas and horses and a cat as well. And most organizations that look beyond dogs will work with any domesticated animal, not working with wild animals. Although, again, I'm going to complicate things a little bit. There might be a therapist who would be doing animal-assisted therapy, perhaps at a shelter that is working on rehabbing wild animals. And so those patients or clients would not necessarily be touching those animals, but the therapist could be using those activities in a therapeutic way of observing the animals. It could be that the people are making food. For the animals. So there are many ways of finding those therapeutic goals and integrating the animals into it that don't have to be that the client is touching the animal.
1: Wow. I just love hearing you talk about this, Ann, because there's so much to think about in the work that these dogs a lot, primarily that we're talking about dogs, but also that that other animals are providing because it's for the animal assisted therapy. Do you think that those, those types of dogs or animals should be, are those more primarily facility dogs that we define or dogs that are actually trained, have more intense training for that kind of work that you were describing? Like for example, turning away from a child if a certain unwanted behavior is demonstrated, or is it? do you think that they can be other types of dogs that don't have that level of training?
0: I really appreciate you bringing up the issue of training, Marcy, because that is an important thing to consider. Certainly, any dog or other animal that goes in to work with vulnerable people needs to have basic manners. And most animals, including humans, need some training in how to be appropriate in public So those kinds of basic manners are a minimum. And then after that, yes, there can be very specific training in helping a dog know what to do at certain times, and that is an ethics issue for me as well, that I want a dog to be very comfortable with what we're doing and not be gritting his teeth, so to speak, just to put up with something even though I'm asking for it. So many of the dogs are very willing to do things for us because we're asking it of them, but yet they're not really enjoying it. And so it becomes incumbent upon us as handlers to be paying attention to what our dogs and other animals are saying to us through their behavior about whether they're really enjoying this or not. Unfortunately, I see people that are very, very well-meaning say, oh, I want to bring my dog in. My dog makes me feel so good. But then they don't realize once they go into a facility that the dog is saying, well, I really like being at home, but I don't really like all these strangers and I don't know what to do around all these strangers. So that kind of observance on our part of the messages that they're giving, as well as the training to help them know, yes, I want you to turn right here, and I want you to turn left, and I want you to stand still right now, or I want you to lie down, or, you know, those various things that may seem obvious to us as humans, because we go into facilities all the time, our dogs just don't know what we're asking them to do without some additional support from us.
1: Yeah, it can be so stressful in situations. I just really uh, appreciate you saying that. And I love your book, Anne, Teaming with Your Therapy Dog. It is such a wonderful guidebook for people who do want to do this kind of work and want to build that kind of healthy relationship with their dog so that the dog enjoys doing this kind of work. I just love that and how you really go into how to work with your dog and how to really build that bond so that, like you said, the dog is enjoying it because I have seen dogs out in these kinds of situations just like you described where they're stressed out, they're drooling, they're panting, they're shaking. Clearly, they are not having a good time and it is so important that we realize that. So, what yeah. would you what kind of training would you recommend if if someone does think that their dog loves strangers and would be a great therapy dog what would you recommend that their path be to look into, to explore this with their dog and actually go down the path of getting their dog to start working in, as a therapy dog?
0: Well, thank you so much for your kind words about my book. Um, of course, I'm biased. <laughs> I think my book has some good information in it.
1: It's and awesome. I
0: appreciate your saying that, too. what I had found was that there were a few organizations with publications out there that would talk about how to work with the facility staff, but there was no one that was saying what to do with their dog, and people needed that opportunity to know, this is how I can support my dog while I am working with the staff and while I am seeing the, the patients or clients. So I wanted to put together a book that would give that kind of basic information on the the various things that a person can do to support the dog. So many times people think, well, if I'm just standing at the end of the leash, it's the dog who's doing all the work. Well, that's only partly true. Yes, the dog is doing a lot of the work, but the dog needs the support from the handler. And so in my book, I provide a list of several things that are principles that people can do and they can learn this from the book, but then of course they are something that needs to be put into practice. And it starts with being centered. So many times we think about, well, what does the dog need to do? Well, I need to be centered. I need to really be present in where I am and not thinking about the issue that just happened on the road as i was driving or the the problem that i had with my boss at work or any of those kinds of things i need to put those aside and be very present with my animal and then there are other things that i can do in staying close in close proximity not so that i'm hovering but so that I can see what's going on with my dog. And maybe I'm kneeling down instead of standing over. Maybe I'm having my hand on my dog so that I can feel muscle tension or feel those subtle movements as the dog is shifting his weight away from a client. I need to be keeping my eyes on my dog. And yes, I'm making eye contact with the people, but I really need to keep watching my dog so that I'm seeing those signals and those behaviors that my dog is giving me. So that's just a really short list of things that I promote in the book and that I have not found anywhere else that people, yes, we do need to know about what staff members title to contact if we want to go in. But even more than that, we need to know what our dog is saying and how to support our dog.
1: Absolutely, and that's what I love about it is it's such practical information that really is helping the reader to become not only a good dog handler, but a really great dog handler. You know, and I loved it too because so much of it is it echoed a lot of the things that I was taught as a service dog handler, and I just thought it was so appropriate and so positive. We're going to talk more about this, but we are going to take just a quick break And here's some important messages from our sponsors who we love, but we definitely, there's a lot more I want to talk about, and especially one of my favorite things about the book that we're going to talk about when we come back. So stay tuned and come right back after these messages.
0: We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned.
1: DGP is an all-natural formula proven to help aging pets with joint and mobility problems. It goes to work quickly providing vital nutrients to the joints while reversing the effects of age. Some people see results in as little as seven days. Don't let your dog struggle another day. Call 800 521 0543 or visit DGPforpets.com and enter the code WORK W-O-R-K, for 25% off your first order and free shipping.
0: Let's talk pets.
1: Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life
0: Radio. Pet Life, Radio. Pet Life Radio. .com. <laughs>
1: Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. We're visiting today with Anne Howie, and before the break, we were talking about her amazing book Teaming with Your Therapy Dog, and there's so many things that I love about this book, but I have to say Anne, one of my favorite things that you develop that I really want you to talk with us about are the therapy dogs bill of rights which I just thought was so genius. How did you come up with that idea and tell our listeners, what are those Bill of Rights?
0: Well, thank you, Marcy, again, for your kind words. As I was writing the book, and I have to say, the book took many years of work putting together various thoughts into a cohesive whole, and it was at the end that I was realizing, you know, there are rights for patients in hospitals, there are rights for students in schools, And our therapy dogs need to have a Bill of Rights, too. And so, well, who better? If I was in the position, I should just go ahead and, and put it out there as my ideas of a therapy dog's rights. And so they all start with, as a therapy dog, I have the right to a handler who does various things. And some of those things include and start with a handler who obtains my consent to participate in the work. Boy, politically, consent is a big term these days. So it's very appropriate for us to be thinking about, wow, you know, we are the volunteers as the humans, but our dogs are drafted into this work. They may not get a say in it. And so very important for us to obtain their consent to find out whether this is something they really want to do or not another aspect of the bill of rights the therapy dog's bill of rights is to have a handler who provides gentle training to help me understand what i am supposed to do there is that that theme again of training marcy that they they need that opportunity to have a better sense of of what's going on and and just because they hop up on the couch perhaps at home or hop up on my bed doesn't mean they know how to hop onto a hospital bed with a person in it who is vulnerable, so they may need very specific training in how to do that very carefully. Another aspect of the Bill of Rights is a handler who is considerate of my dog's or other animal's perception of the world. I I want to interrupt myself there for a minute and say, really, this Bill of Rights is for all therapy animals, not just therapy dogs. And so, back to perceptions, you know, we think about, uh, we recognize that our dogs see differently. They don't see colors in the same way that we do, and they are able to see better at night than we can. But they also have incredible hearing And so we get angry or frustrated at them sometimes at home when they're barking at something and we don't know what they're barking at. And we say, oh, it's nothing. But actually they are hearing things that we cannot hear. It's just outside of our range. So we don't know what they might be hearing in a visiting environment, that it might be painful for them or uncomfortable at the very least. And so to be aware of those things, to think about the shiny floors and how that might be slippery and or the concrete floors and how that might be painful for aging joints. So we need to be increase our awareness of our animals' perceptions of the world. We want to, another part of the Bill of Rights is to help the animal adapt to the work environment. started to talk about that related to the flooring and the lighting and the various kinds of equipment and the noises that they make. Even, you know, we might not think twice about walking past a, a soda machine that has cans that drop And boy, that makes a really loud noise. It can be very startling and we might be used to it, but our dogs, few of us have a soda machine in our homes for the dogs to get accustomed to that kind of loud noise. So, so many things for us to pay attention to.
1: And I love that. I love how it is dog or animal centered, you know, where it's really about that positive relationship. And like you've described, it's really that enhanced awareness of what are how our dogs are responding, what environment they're in, because Everything you described, I was just thinking about how that is for Lovey in those environments. When I, I take her into medical settings or anything, there are so many unusual sounds and noises and smells of yeah. all kinds of things. And it's just so lovely how you've laid all this out because it really helps people who are not accustomed to being in those environments. That's what I love so much about the book also is that it really helps you to think about things that you might not be thinking of if you haven't had those experiences in your life. And this really gives people a lot to think about and to prepare themselves for getting their dogs into that kind of work and themselves in that environment. I love how you talk about how to use your voice, how to stay close to your dog as you mentioned. All those things, those positions and then all the behaviors that your dog may be exhibiting. I just love how you go into detail about all of those and observing stress in your dog and, and how to respond to that. So just just really love all of those things. And I have to ask you, Anne, because so, I get asked a lot, just like we've, we've said, people say, oh, my dog would be a great therapy dog. They love people. What would you say are the steps that someone really should go through if they do really feel strongly about that and want to pursue that for their dog?
0: There are several organizations, both national and local, that work with volunteers. And they provide often some training for the handler, as well as some screening for at least the dog. But I'm biased. I think of the two ends of the leash the one that has the most potential to be dangerous is the two-legged one, the human one, <laughs> and so I feel very strongly that there needs to be training for that handler in what to do and screening for the handlers to make sure that it's not just a well-mannered dog or other animal, even though that's very important, you know, the, the handler needs to be appropriate too. So finding one of those organizations, asking the kinds of preparation that they provide in uh, education or screening. Um, there are national organizations. As I said, Pet Partners is one, Intermountain Therapy Animals is not in all five states, but is in many states. In the South, there is Mid South Therapy Dogs and Friends. There is Alliance for Therapy Animals. Therapy Dogs International. So there are many organizations. Last time I checked, which was several years ago, there were over 500 organizations in the United States alone. Wow. So, yes, uh, most places will have something close to them. So that's for the volunteers. For professionals in your audience who are thinking about doing this, there are several universities that have certificate programs Some of those certificate programs are as easy as one class. Some of them are much more extensive. Some of them are face-to-face classes. Some of them are online classes. I'm affiliated with the University of Denver's online program. They have two certificates related to this. One is called Animals and Human Health Uh, The other is called Canine Assisted Intervention Specialist. So there are professional education routes also that those professionals can go through to make sure that they have a well-rounded education, not just about their human clients, but also how to work effectively and humanely and ethically with their animal partner.
1: Wow. Well, so how long should someone anticipate that it will take them to get their dog ready to go into some kind of therapeutic setting?
0: You know, that's such a good question, and I wish I had an easy answer. But one of the things I have learned throughout my life is that each animal is an individual, just like each person is an individual And it would take me a very long time to learn how to do math effectively enough to be an engineer. Now, I might be able to do it, but it would take me a long time. So just like that, there are some dogs that really have the basic personality, but, boy, they need a little help with with some of those skills, and it could take them several months or maybe a year or more. And then there are other animals that would boy, pick up on it immediately and it just seems to fit and come almost like they were born that way and it might only take them a couple of months. I would say that for most of us, and by us I mean both the human and the animal partner, it does take us several months to put it all together and practice so that we feel comfortable doing this kind of work.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And I have to share with you that when I was placed with Lovey, and she and I went through the intensive service dog training, I really wanted her to be able to do therapy work as well. And so I started pursuing that so that she could be dual trained. And it was really interesting because I was trying to find an organization that I could get her certified as a therapy dog. And it was challenging, I have to say, Ann. And I actually ended up up getting it through our local animal shelter. And Lovey mm-hmm. and I volunteer for them. And so we go out on, on different assignments based on what is happening. And we also have done some other work in the criminal justice world, and especially because of Assistance Dogs of the West, the agency where Lovey came from, there's opportunity there. But I really respect and appreciate the job and the different job description of. Of animal assisted therapy. It became very clear to me, and I learned a lot about that process. And at first, I have to say, I did not know if that was a good fit for Lovey. Because I, I was looking at all those things that you've mentioned, and assessing if she really enjoyed that work, and I think it was a little confusing to her about her service dog role and then her role as a, a animal assisted therapy. And it's been really interesting, and it's taken time. But I have to say that now she absolutely loves it, and there's no question um, <laughs> that she is in that role at that time. But it yeah. does—it's it, a process, and it's not something to be taken lightly.
0: Yes, and I so appreciate your giving her that time and being open to the fact that maybe that isn't a good match for her. So there's, that's such a big part of success is having the handler who is open to what the dog is saying. So thank you. Lovey, thanks you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's yeah, it, it is so important. And I know one thing that you really talk about in your book that I know we don't have much time left, but I really would love to hear you share just a couple of thoughts, Anne, about how a handler really should monitor their dog's behavioral signs of stress and what they should really be looking for, and how they should respond.
0: Yeah, one of my favorites, Marcy, is to teach people how to take their dog's heart rate, We can teach people through biofeedback to monitor our heart rate and and bring it down. But so far, we have not taught dogs how to do that. But we have taught dogs to not show their signs of stress. And you mentioned some great ones, the drooling or the shaking or the muscle tension, the looking away, licking the lips, some of those kinds of things that we can observe. Well, we might have inadvertently taught dogs to not do that, but we can put our hands on the dog's side underneath the front elbow, so to speak, and and be able to feel the heart through the chest wall. And it's so important for people to have that sense of just what the rate is when the dog is calm and relaxed. Not that they're checking with their second hand on their watch, if they even have a watch anymore, to know how the number of beats per minute, just the rate, is it boom, 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 boom. Or is it boom, 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 boom? The increased rate will give us a sign of stress that we might not be seeing otherwise. So that's one of the first things that I tell people to do is get that sense of what the baseline resting rate is and then get a sense of what the rate is when they are doing other things, including visiting. So then we know, okay, my dog is starting to feel some stress. So we need to take a break. Maybe it's as simple as getting a drink of water. Maybe it's going outside. Maybe the dog needs to relieve himself. Um, Maybe it's taking a little bit of a walk. Maybe it's even ending for the day. But in that way, we are paying attention not only to the behaviors, which are very important, but we're also paying attention to the dog's physiological responses.
1: I love that, Anne. Well, I just cannot thank you enough for being with us. And I just have to ask you, because I know our listeners want to get more information about you and your work. How can they, Anne? What's the best way? How can they get the book? How can they get more information about the work you're doing?
0: Well, thank you so much. I'd love to be talking more with your listeners. And my book is available on Amazon, also on dogwise.com. And my website is dogsinactionolympia.com. And then, then you can reach me through email through my website.
1: Awesome, and we will make sure that we have that link on our site um, as we have information about our show today, which we're so excited that you could be with us, and we hope you'll come back in and talk with us more about the work you're doing. It's so valuable. I just can't imagine the impact that it's having on people throughout, not only the United States, but throughout the world as we, we have the opportunity to interact with dogs in stressful times in our lives through medical situations other opportunities. So thank you so much for the work you're doing.
0: Well, thank you, Marcy. And it's been a real privilege to be with you today.
1: And thank you, our listeners, for being with us. We love to hear from you. So please keep your emails coming. Lovey and I love to stay connected with you. And you know you can reach us at Marcy M-A-R-C-I-E at petliferadio.com. And you can also follow Working Like Dogs on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You know we love seeing your images and your photos on Instagram. So please keep those coming and we love hearing about the work that you're doing with your dogs every day so thanks so much for being with us and take good care
0: let's talk pets every week on demand only on petliferadio.com